0: Hello, Podbiles, and welcome back to Basquel Grip. I'm your host, Nicole Davis, and this is the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. This week, my guest is producer Jeannie Igo. Jeannie's big break came when she landed a role at A24, where her credits as a production executive include Barry Jenkins's Moonlight, Trey Edward Schultz's It Comes at Night, Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade, and Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. She also served as a producer on their TV series Rami and a co-producer on David Lowry's The Green Knight. She then launched herself as an independent producer with her first project, Miss Juneteenth, the directorial debut from Channing Godfrey Peoples, going on to premiere at Sundance and receive a nomination for the Grand Jury Prize. Most recently, Jeannie co-produced Conversations with Friends alongside Catherine McGee and the team at Element Pictures, including former podcast guest Emma Norton and development producer Chelsea Morgan-Hoffman, who developed Sally Rooney's novel into the series' script alongside the writers. We talk about moving to New York, getting a job at A24 in its fledgling years as a company, and then being witness to their exponential growth, making the decision to start producing independently moving back to Ireland, maintaining a work-life balance, how Jeannie creates an atmosphere of collaboration and care on set, and adapts her role to the needs of the project and the filmmaker. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation as much as I did having it. This is episode 123 of Best Girl I always like to start these interviews in the realm of higher education. I just think that's often where we start to think about, obviously, what we want to do with our lives. Did you go to university? And if so, what did you study there?
1: I did go to university. I went to DIT and I did media arts, which I think is now called film and TV production, but it just kind of had a
0: general title beforehand. So you had a suspicion that media or film was something that you might want to gravitate towards?
1: Funnily enough, I didn't. I think nobody in my world was doing it. So it was really hard for me to imagine that it was a career, but I had it in my head that theatre producing was a career. (laughs) From a young age, I knew that I really wanted to produce theatre, kind of like all through secondary school. I kind of had that inkling that that was what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until a friend of mine Claudina Quinn did the course and she was telling me about it. And she's an amazing uh, creative producer now. She works in The fashion industry but she was doing the course she was a year ahead and she was like I think you'll really like this you should try it so I did that I I didn't get into theatre production course I wanted to do in Trinity Uh, I just missed it and I was heartbroken like really devastated because I'd spent years just with this kind of clear path and that's what I wanted to do so when I did this shift into it, I kind of just thought, okay, I'll do this, I'll try it, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And then I'll still produce theatre. I still kind of thought that that was where I'd end up. And it wasn't really until halfway through the course. I don't know why it took me so long, but I think it was even the lectures weren't a lot of the lectures weren't working as well. So it was hard to see that that was, you know, what you were to do afterwards, that it wasn't really until midway through that course that I was like, Mm. oh, I really want to produce film. Mm. The love for film was always there. Like we were a big film watching Households, you know, Saturday night, there was always, you rented the video, Sunday afternoon, There was always old movies. So I knew I loved film. But again, I think it was not having anyone in my world do it, that I just Mm. didn't see that as
0: a job. But you knew about theatre producing, you said as early as perhaps secondary school. So I'm wondering like how you made that connect, that that was something that you might be able to do. I
1: suppose I probably still didn't see that as a job. I just saw that as something I could do. I I loved Mm. being part of a drama group and I knew I wasn't able to act. Some very terrible false starts. (laughs) (laughs) Realisation, quite clear. I, I knew I could just get a script, get past, work on that and make something and people would watch it. So I suppose I wasn't even thinking as a career path. I suppose it was just something I wanted to do, which was probably quite naive but I most of my journey has been kind of a naive one.
0: <laughs> and once you'd had that realization, how did you even go about pursuing it? what were some of the first steps you took into making that happen?
1: In my last year of college, I produced a few shorts and then after college, I knew I wanted to work in film, but I decided I didn't know enough about the world to know for sure that this was the only way I could be satisfied in work. So I gave myself the year. Again, I don't know where I got these notions, <laughs> but I kind of was like, I'll, do, I'll try a load of different work within the year in the production world, in media production, and maybe something else all enjoy just as much as I had creating these short films I lagged my way into a lot of these scenarios but I got into our 14 newsroom as a runner which I did two nights a week then I got into a, a kind of a live tv production company Shinna Will and I did that during the day and then at the same time I was doing a couple of days as in a A coordinator on a documentary, Ardmore Studios, which is kind of our main studios. But I was trying to find a way into film production. I just didn't. Again, I I was sending CVs out. I was like tracking people down. I'd find their email and I'd send blind emails. I I was trying, but not really knowing how to do it. So just like throwing a lot of things at the wall. And at the end of that year, I kind of knew that, yes, okay, the focus is film you don't have a way into that here. So maybe you should go away for a few months and come back with something on your CV and then that'll that'll do the job. (laughs) And I hadn't been to New York, but I think it was like my romanticized version of it from the films I love that I was like, loads, it's happening in New York. I'll just like go to New York and I'll be like will walk onto a set. So I went to New York and again, quite naively and like without enough money to do it, but I kind of just... Kind of knew like you know I since I was young I always had a lot of service industry jobs I'd, I'd been working in a cafe from when I was fifteen I used to work in a bar or, you know I knew I could get by and I also think like that's something I think about a lot with privilege like I was able to do that because I was okay with failing because I had somewhere to come back to and I think people kind of underestimate what a privilege that puts you at like privilege doesn't just come with like financial support which. That wasn't what I had, but it was that kind of ability to fail because I came from a supportive place. Just I suppose that kind of helped me leap into making the decision and kind of, again, my naive way of kind of, oh, I'll try it. Like, why not? Like, I'll go to New York. And then when I went to New York, I went to a party my first weekend and through that met a woman who was working in a reality TV company. And I was like, like, hello. <laughs> what do, do you do have anything? Uh, but she she asked me, did I wanna do some transcribing work? And I jumped at it because again, like not kind of the realization of New York being so expensive was hitting slowly. <laughs> but I did that for two weeks and then that turned into a uh, post-production assistant role in this company and that allowed me a bit of stability to get my first apartment. In that time my best friend moved over from Dublin, Efa, and we found a place together and we kind of yeah could set up shop a bit. So I did that and then within three months after kind of got the apartment and kind of got the steady paycheck I told myself no you came here to work in film and you've fallen back into TV and like reality TV And I'd come from live TV in that year after college. I knew I didn't want to do that. So I just started thinking about it then. And at the same time, I was kind of coming to that realization. I snuck along to a women in media night, like a mixer. I think um, my friend was invited last minute as filler. And we kind of thought of it as more an opportunity for free wine. And nobody was interested in talking to me. It was like these well-established people at the, the event and I was a post-production assistant but luckily towards the end of the night I got talking to this woman who was interested in filming in Ireland I was like I know I know about that which I didn't really but I knew enough and I then spent a couple of days like doing the research and reading up and getting comps and like so I think six weeks later after much changing she was like okay I'll meet you for 20 minutes we'll grab a quick drink and then we got there and we really hit it off. And we then ended up spending a couple of hours just, we ended up going to dinner and having a bottle of wine and just really, yeah, we really just got on. And the next day, she sent off a bunch of emails to all these different people introducing me to them. And one of them was Noah Sacco from A24, who is uh, at the time was an executive, but now is the head of creative film. So through that meeting, And it was kind of very brief. You know, that was the one time we met, I met that woman and somehow she changed my whole life. The meeting with Noah was just amazing. Like they were, they hadn't, A24 hadn't released any films yet. They were just starting up. There was, I think about six of them at the time in an office, but I was really excited about the way he spoke about film and how amazing his taste was and just hearing him talk about setting up this company. So though it wasn't production, I, it was still really, I really was drawn to him and, and the company. So at the time I ended up getting an offer of production work as well, but just kind of thought that A24 was the right place and which sounds crazy now, but at the time it was, you know, it was an unknown mm-hmm. and uh, went in house there and interned for two weeks. And after the two weeks they offered me a full-time position and also offered me visa and yeah so that kind of was how that all
0: started. I mean the the question that like strikes me is how you even go about preparing for those meetings or impressing for those meetings because often they're so speculative and you don't really know maybe it's not quite an interview or you maybe don't quite know what you're interviewing for so how did you even approach because obviously it's you know if you're looking to try and get your first like proper job it's quite nerve-wracking as well as exciting yeah how talk me through how you approach those meetings.
1: Again, I probably didn't give it as much thought as now I would. Like, you know, the amount of thought I have put into talking to you today or a call I have with a filmmaker, you know, I'll be thinking about that for a couple of days before. And it's hard to think back and what was kind of going through my mind at the time, except for I knew it was really hard working, but I also knew I had a point of view. And I suppose I've always been a bit of the youngest child, like classic will speak my mind. and. Give my opinions and even when they're not wanted. So I think I probably went in with that again, naively, like ready to fail too. Like I wasn't, it wasn't that I was like, this was all or nothing. You know, these were meeting people. I was walking around
0: New York. I was kind of just having life experiences. And obviously, your reference there that, that when you joined A24 was you know much more unknown than they are now I'm wondering you know what a that experience of working with them was like but also being witness to what must have been quite an incredible growth period
1: it's pretty amazing like I kind of do take a second every now and then and just kind of appreciate it because I was there when I think I was like the seventh or eighth person in the door and I was there while it was a startup you know that was the energy before we had any films, and I still talk about it in the in as a we because I feel quite part of it. Maybe they wouldn't <laughs> uh, say it anymore, but uh, I still just when I talk about it 4 I say what we were doing at the time. But it was just you know a group of brilliant people that were just really good at their job, had amazing taste, knew what they were doing. And in my eyes, we didn't, you know, my eyes, we kind of were like all of us jumping in, you know, figuring this out together. But of course, they had all been uh, the partners, especially David and Daniel had, you know, been in the industry and had run companies and knew what they were doing and saw the the place and the market for this kind of company and this kind of brand. But it was really exciting. I mean, all of it, it was, it was hard work. You know, it was long, long hours for years, but I was there for seven years. So I really got to experience it as a distribution-only company and then watch it become a full studio with the production arm and then just see how that developed and also just see amazing people come and it got bigger and bigger. And I I think it was about 150 people when I left. I'd come back from a shoot and there'd be 10 new people and I'd just kind of be waving in the pill troop trying to get names. <laughs> um, but it was it was amazing. It was amazing to watch it. Yeah, and it's still watching it grow, and I, I love seeing like every time there's an announcement, I'm equally as excited as I was when I was in house because they, yeah, they're they're an incredible group of people.
0: And obviously your job title there, one of your job titles was production executive. And particularly, you know, during that point of transition from being a distribution company to also being a production company, what was it like to inhabit that role? Were you sort of also given a creative latitude to invent what it meant to be a production executive as they were inventing what it meant to them to be a production company?
1: I think so, which was a real benefit to me because I wanted to produce. I kind of, you know, I went in. And Nicolette Eisenberg, who was my boss for the first three years there and who's a dear friend and still such a mentor to me, she's amazing. But she brought me into the, on the distribution side of it for the first three years. I was working in publicity with her and she kind of elevated me in that role. But, but always knowing that I wanted to produce and she knew that production was where I wanted to end up. But with the company changing and with, with the production arm kind of launching... I got to be part of that and I got to, I suppose, like then really bring more of a producing element to that role. Whereas normally I think with the studio, they'd be a little bit more hands off. But because Inman Young, who runs the department, when he and I first kind of launched it, we both were wanting to be really involved in the production. So that kind of then developed that role to be pretty hands on like on site the whole time which is hard as it that job expands and as they get more and more titles it's a lot of work to then to be juggling and then for me I was like constantly on set you know getting off a plane and going onto another to go into prep on something and then to lead production and really to jump onto something else immediately afterwards but I loved it because then I got to let it be more of a producing structure than it would normally be.
0: Also, I'm wondering then how you launched into producing independently and at what point maybe you recognised that during your time at A24 that maybe you'd learnt all you could in that realm and perhaps it was better to then strike out on your own.
1: As I said, I'd been there for seven years and I had always wanted to be back in Dublin as well. I think that was definitely one of the draws. I never saw myself being there for more than six months. And then six months turned into eight years in the States. And so that was one of the draws, kind of getting back to be close to my family. The main draw though was probably wanting to see what I could do on my own. Like I felt like I had this, I was getting this opportunity to work with these amazing filmmakers, like some of my favourite filmmakers working And I, part of me just felt like I I didn't deserve it. I don't know if that's like probably something I have to work through, (laughs) but I just Mm. wanted to see, I was getting these opportunities because of A24, because of who they were. And I just kind of wanted to see what I could do on my own. And I was, again, probably the naivety of it, like, okay to fail at that, but I wanted to see what I could do on my own. And then also have a bit more control of my life, I suppose, too, so that I wasn't just constantly doing 16 hour days on shoots and then going straight into another shoot without any downtime. And it was a really hard decision because I really, I felt so supported in that company and working really like just surrounded by amazing, smart people all of the time was pretty great. And then again, like, working with these filmmakers like that was such a an exciting thing and privilege as well yeah I think it ultimately came down to I wanted to see who would want to work with me as a producer and I also felt like I was on set sometimes like not all the time sometimes working in situations that were I felt could have been run in a different way or I could if I was at the helm could maybe take care of needs in a different way that I thought was Maybe the best thing for the crew and for the film and the filmmaker, so I kind of wanted to see what that looked like as well and eight twenty four were amazing through that whole process. It was kinda of, again the safety net of them, like my told uh Daniel, I'd kind of gone through the the steps with Inman and the gang and letting people know and Daniel Katz, one of the partners, kind of said to me one day he's like, well, you you know you can do this from Ireland like if you want, if it's Ireland, you know you can you can be there." and still do that and which is, was really nice and, and you, I think the world is seeing that now with after COVID that a lot of roles can be you don't necessarily need to be in that place but I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing from a different place I wanted to kind of try something new and the hope was that if it didn't work out that maybe I can come crawling back to them in <laughs> years time but try and fail and see what's the worst that could happen and
0: And you referenced that, like being at the helm and maybe doing things differently to how they've been done before and and what that might look like. Can you say what that does look like? You know, how do you approach it producing? I mean, in a way that you are caring for the crew and doing things perhaps in a different way.
1: Yes. And that's not to say that I wasn't seeing that. I suppose you're seeing different ways of that kind of care with different producers and then you want to take that at what you've learned to kind of bring it together like my last job at A24 was producing The Green Knight and the Sailor Bear team Toby and James and David that's their company they're just the best group of people and they really brought me into the process in a different like I felt like in a different way and really empowered me to produce with them on that Project, which was really wonderful and kind of was a nice kind of final step out of A24. But I suppose like the things that are important to me with producing are taking care of people. I, th- I do think at the heart of it, I assume a mother bear role and taking care of the filmmaker and then helping be a collaborator with them, you know, being a, a true partner, which you can get to in a certain sense. but when you are the studio there is a limit to that you know they have their producer that's that collaboration is so important and I was there as a support to that partnership but I wanted to have that partnership with the people I was working with yeah I suppose then just like being the voice for the crew and also making a happy good work environment because I think that's really important and I have got an opportunity to work with amazing filmmakers who are also wonderful people so that's I've seen that work and then I've seen how that can be more a part of the process because it, you know they're long days it can be tough on set so you just want to make it as good as it can be and also you want people's voices to be heard and you want to make it as collaborative in a way as it should be without like hierarchy that can exist which I'm not really
0: interested in. Absolutely and you referenced The Green Knight there being the final film that you produced at 824. I'm wondering what the first film you produced as an independent producer was and how you went about finding it. Because presumably as well, that must have been quite scary because when you have, you know, such well-known titles behind you within a production company, you kind of want that first thing that you produce independently to also feel, you know, important or to, or to make a splash. You know, how did you go about finding the project that was going to be the right fit for you?
1: So the first project that I produced independently was Miss Juneteenth. And I was so lucky that that script came to me through the Sailor Bear team. So uh, I was sharing an office with James and Toby when we were producing The Green Knight. And they didn't know I was leaving yet, they, that I had been leaving A24, where I had started the process before we had started prep, but we kind of kept it quiet. So they were kind of, they say to me now that they were Kind of toe dipping that I should leave 804 and come produce this movie for them, <laughs> but I just asked them, you know, as, as someone like to get like if they they were talking about notes and stuff like that, and we were sh- sharing a space, so I just said, "Oh, do you mind if I read this And I'd I'd love to let's just see what you guys are up to next." And they happily shared it with me, and then I fell in love with the script. So I talked to. Inman Young who was my boss at the time and just said would this be appropriate if I told them I was leaving You were coming to the middle uh, late stages of the shoot and he said absolutely he was he was so supportive and he loves the Sailor Bear guys too so yeah it was through that and then I tell them and they kind of big big smiles about it like delighted to hear it and then excited that they had found someone for the part or for the project to kind of run it on the ground. And then it was just about meeting Channing and Neil, and we really hit it off. And um, they're wonderful people. And it was again like a really nice collaborative process where there was a lot of work still to do on the script, but we had the kind of green light for it to go. And it was the same financiers as the Green Knight. So that was all pretty straightforward. Again, I was so lucky with that one that it just came. To me. And then when we met Channing and Neil and I met, it just all felt really exciting and good. And then we took it from there.
0: I mean, it's a gorgeous film. I would urge everyone to seek it out. It's also got a really stunning performance from Nicole Bihari um, in it. But I'd love to talk about maybe the particular challenges of producing that film. I particularly, I believe it came out in 2020 during the height of the pandemic. I know I think I watched it during lockdown. You know, did that have an impact at all on on the producing of it and the releasing of it, obviously?
1: We were lucky that we got our Sundance premiere in January 2020. So we got to experience that, which is such a huge part of the release for your first feature um, and get, getting to see the audience reaction to it. And we were so excited to get feel more of that. But obviously the pandemic affected so many people and it still got, I think because of the time it was released, I think it's still it got a lovely amount of press and attention. and. The, the release was kind of rushed to fit into coming out around the Juneteenth time. But I think we were it was we were part of that conversation about making Juneteenth a national holiday. And then that drew a lot of attention. So we were lucky in that respect. But it was disappointing not to be able to see it as an audience. Like I I personally was just is it, it was meant to screen at the Lighthouse Cinema in Dublin, which is my favorite cinema. And then we were hit with another lockdown. And so small disappointments, but overall like I think getting to be together, all of us, there at Sundance, I think having that, that release was pretty great. And it, luckily it didn't affect production as well, um, which I, I can't imagine how we would have shot that film because it was so much about being part of the community and getting into real moments and real environments and then the community coming by and helping us with things. So if we had been dealing with, you know, restrictions, we, I think we would have had to, we would have had to rethink the whole production schedule.
0: And was the experience of producing that feature independently what you'd hoped it would be? Did it give you the space to really kind of flex and stretch muscles, you know, to do things in the way that you wanted to?
1: Yeah, I think what I realized was that I have been doing some of those things before. You know, just having, especially having worked on the Green Knight and working so closely with that team and them being so collaborative and David being so incredible as well. I think I got to see that and also because i'd been producing on the tv side so i had been taking full producer role like on the features it was a production executive so you're there until you're needed you're you know you're there you're helping you're kind of keeping things going but on the tv side you are the production company and Mm -hmm. so i had been kind of doing a lot of that work i suppose things are exciting in a different way like getting into sundance with it was such a huge moment I think it was an exciting moment, but not necessarily feeling different in a huge way. I think it probably hadn't hit me yet. I probably always need a bit of time. And then you look back and then you think about those things.
0: And I'm interested, you know, obviously transitioning from the Green Knight to Miss Juneteenth, with when you're producing and supporting a director like David Lowery, who at that point obviously had, you know, a fair few credits under his belt compared to Channing Godfrey Peoples, who this was her feature debut. How does that support that you're providing as a producer change, you know, depending on their experience, or actually is it much of the same?
1: Every director and every project needs something else from you, or needs something different from you. I need support in a different way. With Chan, it was probably just like the feature length time period of a shoot and like getting, preparing for that. And then thinking, you know, with a full, with a bigger team that the, like planning of things, because she is a very naturalistic way of shooting. She really wants to capture things, how they are and um, truly are in, in moments. And then it's just like, seeing that and the need for that and protecting that but then also putting that into a feature length schedule and knowing that you have a crew of 40 people there that you have to give a call sheet to every day and give a plan I really think every project differs so much and really like it always surprises me like the different the variation in your relationships with different filmmakers and I love that it keeps it so there's not like a a checklist of things I have to do on each project. It's, I mean, there is on the the business side of things like setting up a company and running a company, but but then on the creative side and for the project and the piece of work, it's so is done thing and on, on each mm.
0: thing. Yeah, it's intuitive. Like you having to listen to what they need from you. I guess
1: exactly, and mm. and knowing what they need before they know it, and then being able to prepare for it, and then also when things are going wrong for one reason knowing the real reason behind them and Mm -hmm. kind of taking care of that and and protecting them as well you know protecting them constantly so that their process is protected and that they get what they want and in the way they want to want to do it
0: and given that you mentioned stepping away from A24 to sort of get back a bit of work-life balance but then obviously producing is such an all-encompassing brain-melting role there's so much to do often it does feel like it's all on you how do you go about managing that and not letting it overwhelm you it's a good question
1: (laughs) um I think physically being in Dublin has really helped with that I think when I was in New York and then my sister uh, was in New York and still lives there now And she she works in a different field, but she's in fashion. So she has other periods of time that it's like Mm. insanely busy. (laughs) So she understands. But I think not having that or being in Dublin and being around my family being actually really part of my everyday. You know, like I I live down the road from my mum and dad and my sister and her husband, my nephews are just up the road. So I see them most days now. And that's really. part of it obviously I'm, like when I'm not work not shooting it's different when I when I go into production but just having that downtime between and like still going to my office every day and still working but just having a bit of okay like it's dinner time now and mm-hmm. and I have a partner in Dublin too and he really helps me he has like a much more standard day like he's finished work he's home by five and he's a very creative person, but does not have a creative job. So I see that balance as well. I see someone having like a nine to five and then also extremely creative and like has all these hobbies. So I'm so jealous of the hobbies. And <laughs> <laughs> um, But I see the good in both. I see that like I'm able to do what I love every day. And then I see a world where you do what you love with your spare time and like then you enjoy it in a different way. So I think that's really helped. But I think physically being in Dublin. And I also think production in like in Ireland is, I've only worked in Ireland and in the North of Ireland in Europe. So I haven't got the full experience, but I assume it's similar that there's a lot more of a work-life balance with the crew and your production schedule. Like in the States, a standard working day is just that much longer. And also when you want to do overtime, it's just, you know, that's part of it. You, you know, you talk to the crew about it and you're, you let everyone know, but you're you're stating what you need. Like if I'm doing my job well or producers doing their job well, they're making sure that that overtime is needed and it's not being wasted. And you're taking into consideration the crew's time, but you're still doing a lot more, a lot easier than in Ireland. You have to ask to do overtime. You have to, the crew have to be on board for it. So if they see you wasting a day and then going to them at the end of the day and saying, oh, we need three hours, they're within their rights to say no, you know, which I really
0: like. Well, speaking of Dublin, you recently produced Conversations with Friends, which is the second TV adaptation of a Sally Rainey novel. How did you get involved with that project?
1: So Conversations, I just love it. Some big smile on my face talking about it. So I was trying to be back based in Dublin, but a lot of the work I was getting was still in the States. So after Miss Juneteenth, I went and um, I line produced a series at home with Amy Sedaris, and I was in New York for six months. And I was really, the plan was to be back in Dublin, but it, it seemed to be that I was doing work in the States and then coming back between, between projects. During that shoot, I went to Sundance with Miss Juneteenth and at Sundance I bumped into the Element team so Ed and Andrew um, at one of the events and I I knew them quite well through the years because A24 released a few Element films so I knew them Um, but they kind of were slagging me off a bit that that they kept hearing that I was moving back to Ireland but I hadn't told them I was moving back to Ireland <laughs> like what was going on there <laughs> whereas I just had the one to annoy them you know to me like they are one of the most exciting production companies and producers out there. And yeah, I just was like, they don't want to know that I'm I'm back in Dublin. But they said, look, when you're back next, let's chat. So I think it was like the day after I landed. I wrapped the show and it was early March 2020. And I met them the next day after I landed for lunch. I thought I kind of thought it was going to be a coffee, and it ended up being this like lovely meal. And we kind of chatted about my plan and what I was up to, and all of it. And normal people hadn't come out yet, but I was really excited about normal people. I'm a huge Sally Rooney fan, and I told them I was like, "Oh, I actually, I'm very excited for Normal People." But Conversations with Friends was one of my favorite books, and they said, "Oh, you know, we're actually adapting that at the moment." I was like, "Oh, great!" And they were like, "When we wanted to talk to you about it." Very excitingly, they said they wanted to set me up on a call with Catherine McGee, who produced Normal People, and see how we got on, because she was actually looking for another producer to partner with on it. I was delighted, and I uh, spoke to Catherine, and I feel like every time I talk about Catherine, I'm always just gushing about her because I love her so much. But <laughs> we do, we just really hit it off, and like now she's a, such a close friend. and We have a really similar way of working. I mean, I say that I'm probably like boosting myself up there because Catherine is just an amazing producer, and she's just this wonderful way of working and way about her. But we'd always have the same solution to a problem, and we were always, especially with the masks, we started really communicating with our eyes through the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it was like it was amazing to find that kind of partner on something. And uh, but anyway, I'm, I met with Catherine, and we got on well, and then yeah, I got the call that they'd love to have me on board. So I jumped straight into casting. That was all kind of happening the early summer. And then by September, I was running around Belfast.
0: And given that obviously a lot of the work that you must have been doing at A24 is original IP, and this is obviously an adaptation, did that change the nature of the job at all? Like, did it provide any certain difficulties? I guess, especially knowing that element had just done normal people were you looking to maybe differentiate this or were you using that as like a, a benchmark of how to produce conversations with friends
1: I think because of the success of normal people you kind of just had to put that out of your head like there was no there was no way to have that kind of standard in mind like we had to treat it as its own separate story and entity and shoot there was a nice shorthand with Susie Lavelle and Lenny because they'd just done normal people and Catherine had done normal people so there was a few there was a few things that were nice that we could lean on from it and obviously Emma and Chelsea had been working on the scripts for normal people but it's such a different story. Normal people is a very like straightforward narrative of two people falling in love and um over different timelines but Conversations with Friends was about a complicated dynamic of four people. I think what was exciting about that was like helping to bring that different way of love to screen, you know, and, and kind of start those conversations and give each of those characters room to like be who they are and be real people. And, but it, it was amazing. I mean, obviously, Sally's writing is incredible. And it was really exciting to just like to work off something so strong. Existing IP, you know where the story is going. You, you have a good blueprint. And then it's just about taking those bits out of it mm-hmm. and then making it still work. But then there's the freedom to original uh, IP as well or original ideas that you just kind of can, which I love too. I love like completely building the world and really getting to know these new people that you've just created.
0: And obviously with something like a series and just, I mean, producing in general, I think it requires so much stamina. What are some things that you do to kind of take care of yourself when you're on a shoot and, and to keep showing up, not just for yourself, but like the production and obviously the director and all the people that you're there to support?
1: Oh, I wish I could say like, I do yoga every morning. (laughs) I do my morning. No, no, I always start with the best intentions of like eating healthy because you know that that's going to help your energy, not drinking so much coffee. Like, but honestly, like you never stick to it. Like I just (laughs) always end up emotional eating, like you know, drinking five cups of coffee before one o'clock. But yeah, I think honestly, it's just like you are excited about the project and it just keeps you going. I think I learned a different kind of stamina on conversations because we shot for 24 weeks and that is just an insane amount of time to shoot for with very little time off. I think we, we were meant to have a week, a down week between the two blocks that of course it just gets eaten up into. So I think we had a couple of days But I think on Conversations, you just see your amazing crew and cast. Like Alison Oliver is just like out of this world, talented, but also like the joy she brings to a set every day. And she is in every scene of that show. So she is in every day, 24 weeks. She is in first, you know, she's out last. So you kind of, you have to keep that standard with her. You have to be there when she's there. She has to have someone to look at and to know that they're doing this too. And you've obviously constantly check in on their well-being being. And I suppose you just start you're used to taking care of everyone after time. You do just get used to checking in on yourself as well. But it's a challenge. I mean, having an understanding partner as well is crazy helpful. And I can't believe I've been so lucky with with Andrew to find someone who is really understanding of the IREs. So I think that's also about collaborating with people and finding those partners in your personal life and in work that you can kind of lean on
0: yeah and trust that they'll get it done I think that's such a big thing for producers because you have oversight over everything it's really hard to let go of like some of the little things and actually like delegate and just stop worrying that it's not gonna happen I guess
1: yeah and that's an ego thing too which I think we all have to deal with is like knowing that like if you got knocked down tomorrow the sheets probably you know you hope that they'll go down for a day <laughs> things will keep going you know you have to you know that if someone goes goes down that like we or if they're sick they have the flu or something the sheet still happens people know what they're doing Like if you're working with people that you hopefully can trust in and so it's all about your ego as well and keeping that in check and like knowing that without any of us it will still be done
0: that's a question actually that I don't think I've ever asked on this podcast before. But what happens if you need to take a sick day on a shoot? There is something amazing about the body
1: that it kind of knows when, like, I will always, without fail, get really sick after a shoot. When we went to Croatia, I think it fooled my, my body, thought we were done because we went, <laughs> we wrapped we in Belfast, we flew to Croatia, we had a, we were in this gorgeous place. In, on this island of Var, and then we were back into prep for a week. If it was even a week, I think it might have been five days. And I think my body thought that we were done, but I also got a, a virus. I got strep throat, mm-hmm. and it was like one of the worst doses I've ever gotten. But with Catherine and me there at the same time, and Catherine was there for the whole week, I was sick. They're, like it was fine, you know, and like we were a really well oiled machine at that point. Mm-hmm. And again, you trust your team, everyone knows what they're doing. Lenny also is like an amazing director with a really producerial way about him too. So he's really conscious of crew and he's really conscious of time. Yeah, like he's amazing to work with. So you never really have to worry too much about on the day.
0: Absolutely. And you referenced it there slightly, obviously, you know, problems arising and issues. What I find funny about the job of the producer is that it's it's just a very urgent job, like you're constantly putting out fires that are kind of right in front of you. But I'm wondering, like, when and how you take space for reflection, like whether it's to think about a job that you just did and how it went, but also maybe what you want to do next and what the future of your career looks like, you know, how do you carve out space to have that
1: Well, I think reflection on specific projects comes once you wrap and once you have time away from something, you can kind of see things clearly. You hope it's kind of positive reflection too and you think of the good that's come and things you'd that worked fine but that you do differently. And then you look back over time and you see how you've changed as a person. Yeah, it only comes with time, doesn't it? And, And I think the hope is with every project, if you prep well enough, It can mitigate the fires as much as you can. Of course, there's going to be problems every day. And like that's your job and you're dealing with it. But you kind of try and build something that's structured in a way that you have your backup plans. And then with your career, I suppose the downtime between productions, like I've gave myself this year with conversations. It was such a huge job and it was so long that I really wanted to spend the time focusing on my company. So I, I set up a company called Homebrew Productions when I got back, but then I was straight into a really long shoot. So then I had spent no time thinking about it or working on my slate. You know, the few things that were, you know, little little bit of development work. Like I optioned a book and I had a script I was working on for a long time. So there was a small amount kind of happening. But um, I think I gave myself the space this year um, and really made a conscious decision not to do a shoot this year. so I could work on the sli- my slate of projects, uh, which was really hard and scary. like and I was offered some wonderful projects that at the time, you know they're, they're really hard decisions to not do, especially when they're with wonderful companies. and they're amazing people and I, I don't want to be working with them. but I also made this decision to see what I could do. so that needs time. And that needs focus. And I think hopefully with the way next year is looking, that would be worthwhile and that would have worked out well. All of it really is gambling. You know, you're you're making decisions. You don't know what one is the right one. You just have to follow your gut as much as you can. I'm a big believer in not regretting things. So like, even when you know something is going to be great, like, you know, it has all of the different elements to be Mm -hmm. an amazing film and piece of work. I still am so excited to see that in the cinema and see that as an audience member that it doesn't always necessarily have to be you have to be part of that i suppose that's what i'm not trying not to regret like you do the spin on it and you try and look at things positively and also it can all be all over tomorrow so why not try take the bets
0: and lose some and win some and hopefully it all balances out it sounds like you also made like a conscious decision to invest in your own vision for what you wanted to produce as much as like other people invest in like filmmakers visions that you've you kind of seen the value of having a creative producer and not just a producer that, as you say, kind of goes from shoot to shoot to shoot.
1: Yeah, exactly. I really wanted to, yeah, focus on the projects and focus on the directors I want to work with and our work I am working with and give them the time they deserve. And then also, you know, you do a big job, so you can do that time in order to for longevity and for the level of products you want to work on, and and then you can balance it out by doing both. And I really love development as well. Like I love. Digging in with a writer Mm. or a director and like really finding stories and finding solutions, and it's really satisfying.
0: I'm wondering if there's something that you consider to be the biggest learning curve of your career or to frame it differently a piece of advice that maybe you've been given that you feel like has stayed with you.
1: I think not being too headstrong on the path to get to what you want to do. So I knew I wanted to produce, but I was open to trying different routes of that and like now looking back being working in distribution is like so key to how I work as a producer getting to be part of A24 when I could have been like very focused on production like completely changed my life as well i think the big big lesson is always trust your gut even when it doesn't really make sense you, there's something inside you telling you that something for a reason and even if on paper something seems perfect and like feels like the right next step, if something inside you is saying no, then it's saying no for a reason and you li- should listen to it. Not to be st- mistaken with fear, because I also think we should always do the thing that scares us. But I think most people can can tell the difference with it. I think in life, my big lesson was, has been eating understanding ego a bit more and like really looking at that with people and seeing that that's actually at the root of most issues on a set and like understanding that and trying to work through that and also like keeping your own ego at bay I think is like a huge thing in everyday life you know and how you deal with people and deal with problems and being like oh is this okay am I having this reaction because my ego is bruised okay that doesn't matter what matters is the project and what matters is Making this the best it can be. And once you kind of identify it, I always feel like then it's so much easier and life is so much better. Oh, also knowing when you don't need to speak up as well, knowing like your voice is not always needed to be heard. Again, as the youngest child, I feel like that was that's a constant battle where you just kind of need to know like, like I always thought it was a sign of like, oh, I'm just very honest and blunt. But actually, that's not always the best paths to take like sometimes you need to know this is not the time to say that hold it back and then deliver it in a way that they can hear it because sometimes you can be too I guess just too quick so maybe too yeah too reactionary and then and and I'm still guilty of that again it's something I, I constantly talk to myself about
0: and then finally I'd love to know if there's a film by a woman director that you would like to recommend today
1: so I just saw a A beautiful film, short film at the goy Film Festival, called Wednesday's Child by a director called Laura Shea. She's Dublin-based director, and it was just really, uh, very natural and beautifully done. And I just thought it was a really lovely short film and quick insight into a world that you wouldn't see. And uh, yeah, I thought she she's really exciting filmmaker to watch out for. And then also, I think it's been mentioned before. But uh, Corsage, Marie as uh, uh, film, it's just really just like broke my heart. And I had, had, I thought about it for days afterwards. I just really think it was a magnificent piece of work. And also a friend of mine uh, just produced a film called Nanny, uh, Nakia Milcheri. And uh, I think that's going to be coming out soon. So I want, I want to keep an eye for that, but the script is amazing and there's amazing filmmakers
0: thank you Jeannie so much for your time I've eaten into a lot of it and for your insight it's been yeah a really great chat I'm so glad to have been able to speak with you today it's so lovely to talk to you as well thank you so much you for listening to this episode of best girl grip if you liked what you heard please do rate review and subscribe spread the good word etc i'm on instagram best girl grip for pod related news if you want to listen to more episodes like this i recommend digging out my interviews with emma Norton and katie sinclair in the meantime have a great week and i'll be back next tuesday with a brand new episode